Have you been enjoying this uh, sermon series called The Wall? The story about Nehemiah, last week we talked about this whole idea that so often you and I are looking for a solution. And so we continually go to God and we're like, God, give me the answer, give me the answer. And, and God messes us up and sends us a person with the answer. <laughs> and if you get the messenger, then you get the message. But if you don't, you don't. Because once again, we talked about this whole idea that, that God has this annoying habit of thinking that he is in charge of the universe. The, my favorite line in that song that we just sang is, the church of Christ was born. And the church of Christ was born. There's this concept in that song and in scripture that the church of Christ is born in the world, but it's not of the world. Think about your life right now. It was born in the world, but it was not of the world. It's of another world. It's of something that's much higher. Call it a heavenly way of, of coming down into like a return to the Garden of Eden and the Church of Christ was born where we walk with our Father in the Garden every day and where He calms your fears and where He heals your sin and forgives you and moves you forward and shows you how to love your wife because you think that you can't because you think that it's her. And it might be. There's this idea that the church of Christ was born in the world, but it's not of the world. And you, if you follow Jesus, if you're coming to faith right now, you'll find that there's this whole other kingdom ab above the kingdoms of the earth. And if you can subscribe and align yourself to the kingdom of God, then God can do what he, only God can do in your life. Or you're going to be stuck with living a life in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own, in your own, in your own, with your own problems, dealing with them by yourself. There's this uh, concept that we're going to take on this morning in the life of Nehemiah that is going to show you that the way that God handles issues in your life is not the way that you would choose to do it, but it's the only way that it actually works. How many people know, um, as I talk about our, our way of thinking this morning, in Canada particularly, but how many people know that your family of origin wasn't normal? Did anybody, you thought that it was normal until you went over to your friend's house when you were seven and you're like, oh, this is just my family. Anybody? I'm the only one. And then, and then you, you, you get married to somebody who comes from another family and they think that this is normal. And you're like, that's not normal, sweetheart. Adults don't kick and scream and throw a tantrum on the floor. Come on, loosen up, early crowd. I'm just going to keep going until you start laughing. The way of thinking and the way of uh, mentally and emotionally and even spiritually processing something that you inherited from your parents or from your family of origin, it's not, it's not doesn't make it the best way. It just makes it your way. And then you come to Christ and you find out that, oh, you have to subscribe to a whole different set of rules of conduct and a whole different set of rules about emotions. And who knew that God was like, why don't you just feel the emotions that I tell you that you should feel that will actually help you? And you're like, but God, in my family, we're just allowed to feel anything we wanted. And that was truth. And God's like, really? That's scary. There's this other way of thinking. There's this other way of feeling. There's this other way of processing things. How many people know that the way that we handle things in our country, in our country of origin, wherever you came from, but if you came from this country, how many people know that we just think the way that we think because that's the way that we grew up thinking? 
and the way that our country was structured, the way that your government is structured, or if you come from another place, you'll find that you come here and everything is very different, but everybody here is like, oh, this is normal, though. This is how everybody thinks. And then what happens is we try to bring that thinking into the church, and the church is supposed to be of a heavenly kingdom and not of any earthly kingdom. And you find that in the kingdom of heaven, uh, left is right and up is down, but there is still salvation for sins, which the world can't give you. There is healing and forgiveness that the Holy Spirit can pour power into you to forgive things that you in your earthly uh, mind could never forgive, but the Holy Spirit can. And you start subscribing to a much higher life. It's not normal, it's just your normal. And what if your normal became a heavenly normal? I wonder what God could do. Thanks, John. There's this uh, story as I kind of open up this whole idea of, of how do we think in Canada and what do we think is normal. And when we come into conflict with the kingdom of heaven, how we choose and why we choose the kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of the earth that we live in. Because how we think is just how we think, but it doesn't make it right. It's just how we think. And so, um, so uh, does anybody know the, the rock band U2? Millennials, come on now. Come on. Uh, you two, um, Bono, Bono one time, he, he said, uh, I can go for a steady diet of you two for about a month, and then it'll, I'll, I'll go on sabbatical for two years, and then I'll come back later. You just, it's one of those bands that you just kind of come back to. Bono, um, who, of course, is a huge humanitarian uh, now, but Bono was interviewed one time, and I think that in this interview, I finally realized, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is very true of your country as well. In the interview, an American was interviewing uh, Bono, and he said to, he said to, to Bono, um, how do people in Ireland view your success? And he, he kind of started laughing to himself, and he's like, the Irish, um, they're different than the Americans. He said, in, in America, you see the person living in the, the big house on the hill, and you think to yourself, one day that'll be me. He said, in Ireland, he said, people uh, see the person living in the house on the hill and think to themselves, one day I'll get him. <laughs> God bless the Irish. I know you want me to say that alcohol was invented so the Irish wouldn't rule the world, but we weren't going to anyways. We had some miles to go that we weren't going to take. But in that thinking, I think that you'll find that particularly Western Canada was established on roots in the UK. And we have a lot of similar issues that they have in the way that we think about things. And so think about it like this. Like uh, Canada is actually answerable to the queen. But you don't actually answer to the queen, do you? Right? So it's like, hey, yeah, great. We have the queen. Isn't she amazing? That's great. That's great. But we don't have to do anything that she wants us to do. That's just nor- you just think it's normal because it's you. We're like, oh, no, we honor the queen, but we don't obey the queen. Like, well, no, like, that doesn't affect us in any way. There's this UK sort of thinking that a lot of the West was actually birthed into in how we view democracy and how we, even as I say the word democracy, you think that that's God's divine system for ruling a nation. Right? democracy. Then you come into a family and you try it in a family. Has anybody ever tried democracy in a family? If it doesn't work in a family, it doesn't work, everybody. Let's take a vote. Who wants ice cream for breakfast? If you got more kids than than you got adults, then you're going to have rotten teeth, giant kids. (laughs) Come on. 
this whole idea, but it's just the way that you think. And then we bring this into the church and we think, and then we're very surprised when God has the nerve to be like, hey, stop doing this and do this and things will go well with you. And you're like, hey, can we just, uh, let's gather a committee and let's vote. And God's like, you can do all the voting that you want, but it's, I'm still right. You know, and you can, <laughs> and so I'm going to kind of peel apart some of the layers of how you think that are keeping you from God's destiny for your life that just are because of the country that you grew up in or the country that you live in right now. It's just normal because this is us. It's just normal because, and this is how we process things. But there are definitely some problems in, 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 in what I would say in, in this, because, the, you know, what Bono said of the Irish is not that far off of our thinking. It's like we, we subscribe to in Canada this idea. It's called a tall poppy syndrome or a crabs in a bucket. Has anybody heard that? It's like, hey, yeah, no, we're all the same, everybody, equal, right? Equal voice. Everybody's voice matters the same about every issue. So I know little about cars, but my opinion matters just as much as yours does right? It's this whole idea of equality, and this is how it looks, because this is the, the, the country that we live in. And this idea of crabs in the bucket, meaning, don't you step out and be better than me at something, Mr. Kenny. No, no, who put you in charge? I don't have to do what you say. And we have this idea in Canadian culture that when somebody rises up, that it actually degrades the rest of us. But then we come into the kingdom culture, and God is like, honor because you only reap what you sow. And we're like, I'm not going to honor because I want people to honor me. And God's like, I can't. And they can't until you, because you only reap what you sow. It's a very different mentality here. And we have this idea of crabs in a bucket. Now we look at our neighbors to the south, and they're on way on the other side of this thing. And so, so I'm not going to get into that all that much. I mean, everybody knows what the Americans are thinking all the time, right? And we look down there, and we're like, oh, yeah, but our system is so much better. No, it's just our system. But it's as problematic as any other system of government. That in fact, Churchill said this of democracy. He said it's the worst form of government, except for all the other ones that we tried. <laughs> you know, so, and then we come into the, the house of God, and we're like, democracy. Okay, how does this look in the house of God? And then you subconsciously approach God, your heavenly Father. Like, but your family growing up didn't operate like a democracy. I hope that it didn't. If if it did, get pray for healing, man. Like, let's. It doesn't work that way. You can't run a business like a democracy. It just doesn't work in, in society. But this is our society that we live in. So, so as I'm talking about Nehemiah, there's going to be pushback in your soul just because of the nation that you grew up in. Because if somebody rises up with a message, then you want it to be you. And I do too. I'm just like, I want to be that person. I want to be important. Why? Because the person at the top is the only one that matters, is how we think, right? But then we secretly and, and quietly, I love Canadians too, because you never know. Somebody can leave the church, and I won't know why for about a year. And they'll talk to everybody but me. Oh, you thought I didn't know. That's this idea, this passive-aggressive idea of withholding honor, this idea of like, hey, I'm not going to speak up here, but I'm going to speak up here. Why? Because we, we grew up in a democracy. We think that, that this is how the world functions. We think that this is how the house of God should function. So this, what we, what we subconsciously did in our mentality here is we, we, we raised a society that makes it virtually impossible for a young Nehemiah a young boy or a young girl to actually develop into a Nehemiah. Right? Think about the schooling system. It was based on the British system of like, hey, uh, let's take a clerk in India and replace them with a clerk in Australia, and they can do the same thing. And so, like, let's give everybody the same amount of, y'all don't know where the school system came from. It's this idea, right? 
Now, that's been changing in the last few years, but this whole like, concept of like, of like jealousy when somebody special rises up, but where in some cultures, they know that when somebody special rises up with a message, that everybody could rise to that level. But that's not how we think, because we're secretly jealous, and we secretly want God to make it us, whether you could handle it or not, whether you're called to or not, whether it would even make you happy or not. This whole idea of ascendancy. See, a societal shift, if you look at history, really only happens, and if you look at biblical history, it really only happens when a person gets a vision for something and a people follow the person and shift society. But in democracy, this is how we think about it. This is how we think about it. One day we're all going to wake up and, and join hands and sing Kumbaya. And then all the racist monsters out there will stop. Democracy has blind spots like any other form of government, like any other way of thinking. It has massive blind spots because it's always looking for problems out there. It's always them. It's not, is there racism here? No, 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 no. It's not me because democracy assumes that the will of the people is right. And if you can gather a majority, that the majority of the people's will is right. Let's go one step further. That if you get enough votes... That it's not just right, it's ethical, and it's moral. Right? Come on now. So if you can get more votes than the next party does, then that becomes the new morality. That becomes the law. That becomes the way that people think and feel and treat each other and act. And God is looking down on this going like, well, that's broken. But we're so afraid of, like, dictatorships. Right? Why? Why are we afraid of dictatorships and kingships and actual kingdoms? We're afraid of the word kingdom in Canada. Why? Because it denotes always think of are the flawed kings and queens of the past. All we think of are the monsters who rose up and ruled. But this kingdom has the best king of all time who's never had a bad thought about anything. Who's never treated his children differently. Who's never done anything wrong, thought anything wrong, felt anything wrong. And this is our king. And he's like, just do what I tell you to do. Oh my goodness, guys. But that's not how we function. That's not how we think. And if you try to bring that into the kingdom of God, you're never going to be able to do what Nehemiah had to do to protect the people, which was build a wall together. Here are some problems in, in a democracy. Democracy simply means this control by the majority. Um, a democracy assumes that the majority are good and cannot be fooled. Because we are wise now. People in the past, they d- did horrible things to each other because they were not wise like we are wise. We are so smart and we are so clever. And Paul the Apostle would be like, I'm, you know what, I'm pretty well the smartest guy in Israel and... Have you ever read what Paul the Apostle wrote about himself? He's like, oh my goodness, I do things that I hate. I don't trust myself as far as I could kick myself. He's like, there's a part of me that's good. There's a part of me that's wicked and bad and selfish and sinful and stupid. And he's like, I don't even trust myself. You know, uh, T.D. Jakes said this of preachers. He's like, preachers ought to be very certain of the message, but very uncertain of themselves. But in Canada, we're very uh, uncertain of the message and very certain of ourselves. (laughs) So, like, we get this whole thing upside down and it just doesn't... So we have this whole idea, uh, and, and democracy is the easiest thing in the world to play a glorified, 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 this is a new word, look it up. This whole idea of the, this, this massive blame game, because if you can get attention off of yourself, then you don't actually have to do anything. And drama is the wild card in a democracy. Drama. Oh, just play it up, man. Make a production of it. Why? Because the more people that watch you are probably going to hear, here's, here's what you think. Here's what you think. 
that as the majority of people are good-natured, good-hearted, will do the right thing. That we will all vote, and we will eventually, you know, the social conscience is more important than the individual conscience, certainly more important than, like, this old idea of religion. Oh, oh my goodness, no. Subscribing to rules that somebody else made. No, no, we, we change the rules as we go because we evolve. Well, some things evolve, but th some things are evolving backwards into single-celled amoebas with no brains. Right? It's this idea of like, why, why do we trust it? Because we just trust it because that's just how we think and this is how we grew up thinking. It's where, where our culture told us to place value. Do you know who controls a democracy? Let me, let me show you. Um, it's a great example here. You know, I'm a, because I have Irish uh, background in me, uh, I also have Dutch background in me as well. And, and I would honor both sides. The Dutch, I got my love of hard work. We got any Dutch in the house? Love hard work and efficiency. Sure, you know, like, why build a country where everybody else does? Let's build one on the sea and then just build a bunch of walls to keep the sea out. And the Irish are like, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and maybe rather not. I honor that, but what I have from my mom's side is that, that if I start talking to Caplet here about something, I can come up with an idea that, that may have some merit but might be a little bit crazy. Like most of my ideas, I'm not going to lie. So, but the first time that I talked to him, I'm a pretty persuasive talker. Um, whether uh, Jason, who's got a very strong mind, that, that doesn't really have anything to do with this. But the first time that I talked to him, he might be maybe 20% of the way into this conversation. Does that make sense? Like he might 20% agree with me. And so I'm pretty persuasive. I, I would create arguments around that. I would... You know, it would make sense to me. I would try to sell him uh, what I'm, you know, the tacos I'm eating. But the next time that I talk to him, I'll bet you I can get another 5% out of him. Give me six times, give me eight times, give me 10 times. I'll bet you I can get him, if my idea has any merit, to about 60, 70%, 80% of him agreeing with it. Now, what if, what if I could get a message in front of him a thousand times? And one message in front of him a thousand times. The same message, just worded differently. What if I could do that? He would start thinking that that's his message now. Because that would become his way of life. What controls a democracy? Whoever can get the message out a thousand times in front of people. That's what controls everything in any... That's, that's how dictators rule. Because they get the same message out a thousand times in front of people. And people, all they have to do is tell, you're so smart. That's all I have to tell you. You're so smart. You're so smart. You would agree with this because you're smart, right? Oh, come on, people. You think, oh, man, the devil has seen millions of people just like you. I know you think you're special. He does, man. He's got your number every, every way you turn. He can tempt you. He can talk to you. He can reason you into things. Paul the Apostle's like, yeah, I don't think that I'm that smart. So even though I'm kind of smart, but not smart like God is smart. And so I don't trust myself all that much. And we start understanding, okay, this is a roadblock. This is why some of you didn't react in a godly manner during the COVID, during the pandemic. Because you watched a thousand messages of something else coming into your home, but you didn't read the word of God as much. You gave the word of God one read every week and listened, you know, watched a thousand other messages of fear and panic. And I'll bet you if you would have read Psalm 91 a thousand times. Yay, though. I'll bet you if you would have. A thousand may fall on my side and ten thousand on my right hand, but it will not come near me. I will not be afraid of the, the plague that comes in the, come on. I'll bet you if you'd have filled your heart up with the, the words of God in your life that you wouldn't have been afraid. 
Look, better to deal with a crisis unafraid than to deal with it scared to death. And there's this idea that whatever can get the message in front of you a thousand times, it's the weakness in our system. It's the weakness in the world. The assumption that the majority must be right. Well, we never thought to question who's sending the message. Whoever sends the message is the one who's controlling us. And if the message is not coming from heaven, it's coming from somewhere. And so here's the thing. I might talk him into something, but I might not want something for him. I might want something from him. And this is the difference in the kingdom of heaven. See, I can preach a hard message to you. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. God, your heavenly father is like, come on, come on, invest in my kingdom. And you're like, what do you want from me? And he's like, oh, my goodness, you stupid kids. I don't know if he says that or not. That's just how I think. He's like, really? Right, because you have something that I need. He's like, I have something that you need, but this is the only way to get it. Do you want it or not? You're like, God doesn't need my money. No, but somebody who's, who's beside you in your city needs it, and the church could reach them if we had it. Yeah, do, does God need your money? No, but you need to give it. Does God need your honor? No, he's going to be God no matter if you love him or hate him. He doesn't care. But you need to give it because he can only give you what you sow. Here's, here's another thing, this whole idea that the majority must be moral. So what was okay then is not okay now, and what was not okay then is okay now based on how many people vote for it. Well, we only have to spin that about like 10 feet further to be like, what, what happens when sex with kids becomes okay and more people vote for it? Well, that's never happened before. Oh my goodness, read history, people. You ever read about Roman society? What? Yeah, no, there was other societies before this one. What happens when more people vote and more people think? And what happens when, and what happens when, and this is, is why it's been so difficult for God. I think even in church culture right now, it's been so different for God to raise up Nehemiahs because our culture itself steps on Nehemiahs. Like, don't be special. Don't speak your mind. Don't, say, don't ask a different question than everybody else is asking because everybody else is right. But everybody else didn't see this coming. But did you know that God had a plan in heaven for our country and our nation and for you during this whole time? If you went to heaven, you got it. And if you didn't, you don't. And this whole idea of like, we'll find it, we'll find it. Here's another thing that a democracy assumes that we're really, really good at troubleshooting everything. Some of you can't figure out why the light in your house doesn't come on. Because you've been turned on the wrong switch for two years. That's not even the switch for that light. Some of you made it to church where you, I mean, you put your pants on this morning, you got two legs and the one leg. And you... <laughs> And you think that you're good at troubleshooting. Here's, here's what a democracy assumes, that we're all good at troubleshooting. So let's turn the light on everything. All, we got all, nothing but information. Turn the light on all the information. Throw it all up in the air, and we'll just kind of, we'll be able to figure it out. Here's what a Nehemiah can do. It's a God-given gift. They can come in with a flashlight and find the actual problem in the wiring. You don't need all the lights on in the whole room. They'd be like, oh my goodness, what a massive distraction. What's the motor that's not coming on? I was an electrician, right? What's the motor that's not coming on? That one over there. And everybody's like, but all these other motors are working and do you want to read all the manuals? He's like, well, no. God's like, no, why don't we just walk in here and deal with this fear of death? That maybe was the issue. Because the son and daughter of heaven shouldn't be afraid of death. That should be like the great party starter, right? And why are you so afraid, everybody? Well, so why don't you think about your neighbors? But people in the church got so scared for their own skin you know, you can't make a difference in the world, Christ follower, if you're scared for your own skin. Come on now. we got to look a little more like Jesus in our lives. He was more concerned about the person he was trying to reach. 
If I can tip the scale with a bit of drama and get more votes, I can change the morality of a nation. I just got to get to the person who can get to the message out in front of a couplet here a thousand times, and then my agenda wins. You know, we all think to ourselves, well, no, 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 it's not the agenda, and we're all, no, 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 no. There's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a God and there's a devil. And everything that's happening in the world that is broken, that is trying to hurt people, is the devil. And he has an agenda. And you're not smarter than the devil. This is why we subscribe to the house of God. Um, Here's another idea that you can't move without consensus in a democracy. Now, a wise leader will try to build consensus because you need hands to build, right? However, you can't move unless everybody votes in one direction. Well, do you raise your kids like that? Obviously not, unless you're a terrible parent. Here's, here's the thing that I was thinking of, you know. God's like, okay, um, Moses, take the children of Israel into the Red Sea. You got Pharaoh's army behind you. Um, I'm going to peel back the layers of the sea, and so go on through the Red Sea. And Moses goes around, and he's like, okay, we should probably vote about this. <laughs> he'd, have, he'd have two votes. His brother and his sister, because they have to be on his team, because he'll make their lives miserable if... But the way of salvation led through the Red Sea. In fact, God took care of their enemies in the Red Sea. The very thing that was an impossible barrier to them. Why? Because God is God. We forget that God can do anything. It's it's this powerful, powerful way of thinking that's so different than the way of the world. Nehemiah has a gift. Right before I get into this text, I want you to keep your eye out for three things as we go through this text. He has a gift for three things that are unique to Nehemiah or to somebody with a Nehemiah type of spirit. Now, I think that that you'll have uh, different types of Nehemiahs in your life. Now, a true Nehemiah is a godly Nehemiah who loves Jesus and who God gives a gift for for you. But there are other people who can lead you and help you that may or may not be Christ followers at all. But but a true Nehemiah would, would be somebody who loves Jesus and who has the Holy Spirit of God on them. But they have something more than that. They have a call of God to do a specific task, to troubleshoot, to make sure that morality stays on track, to show us how to build as a nation what has been torn down. Um, this, is what, this is what Nehemiah does. You ready? Three things. Ready? I'll write this down. He can assess. She can assess the issue. Watch for it in the story. Assess. You all think that you can assess? You can do it a little bit, but this person can walk into a crisis and assess what's actually going on, the pain points. Now, the second thing that they can do is they can create a sense of urgency. They have a God-given gift about it. I don't know how they do it. They create a sense of urgency. The third thing they do is they create momentum, and I would call it the momentum of execution. Evaluation creates no momentum. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. We spend our whole times evaluating everything for ourselves. What if we would let God evaluate things for us, and we would just spend all our time executing? Sowing seed, reaping the harvest, like, oh my goodness, your life would just be so much easier. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2. So I arrived in Jerusalem, he says. Three days later, remember, he had a talk with the king. The king granted him soldiers. The king granted him um, the permission to go and do this thing. Um, he said, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Three days later, he, after he'd been in Jerusalem, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Now, this is where in your democ- democratic mindset, you're going to get a little bit uh, angry at Nehemiah because he's not giving you all the information that he has. But, you know, when your five-year-old asks you where babies come from, <laughs> you said the stork, just like I did. Dad, is Santa real? 
right? You just think that you're the adults in the story. But really, what we are is sheep, and we need shepherds. Um, he says, we took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate um, to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate, uh, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. Now, this is something that will annoy Nehemiah about your life, is that there's just too much rubble. You just, you, you're just so busy stepping over stones all the time that you're not really living. And there's something about Nehemiah that walks in, and he's assessing what's really going on here, and why there's so much rubble, and can we call it baggage in your life? So though it was still dark, he said, I, I inspected the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Now, this word assess, let me just stop there, because he's assessing the real damage. This is not like looking or finding something on Facebook that may or may not be true in any fashion. What this word assess means is it's the probing of a wound to find out what's really going on in there. So it's like, let's find out where the bullet actually is. Because it's sort of healed up, but there's still a bullet in there. Like we gotta, so this takes a Nehemiah. This is why, why we, we must respect those that God, they have an incredible heart capacity to assess the actual damage. So they'll ask such awkward questions like, but why did you make the decision that landed you in that place at that time that got you in all that trouble? And we're just like, I'm a victim. And they're like, no, but you made decisions after that, right? So then why did you make that decision? They'll probe the wound. They'll find out, why do you think like that? Why do you, you say this word, but is it that word? Or what do you really mean by that? They'll, they'll, they're this hard capacity to ask hard questions. Um, they have a high, high pain tolerance. And that's a good thing. You need a Nehemiah with a high pain tolerance. And then it says, the city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. And there's something else that we need to recognize and but our Nehemiahs. My Nehemiahs that God gives me is that there's a unique pain point that, that is felt only in loneliness for them. Because leadership is very lonely. And that demands my respect as well because they bear a unique burden that is unique to them that I probably couldn't bear. Um, one, one thing that you see here is I think that, that God is creating an emotional template in Nehemiah, which is very important in a Nehemiah that's outside of the burden of the people that he's, that he's going to be serving. Like Think about it like this. How soft of a person would Nehemiah be if he couldn't really probe the wound? So um, let me say it like this. I think in Canada we want surgeons to be nice or to be emotionally connected. Do you want a surgeon who's emotionally connected to all of the pain that you're going to feel when you wake up out of the anesthesia? No, they got to cut the cancer out. That's their job. So they have to have an emotional template that God owns that's not based in the hurt of the people that they're trying to solve. If it's based in the hurt of the people that they're trying to solve, they will not be able to ask the people to do hard things. Because their heart will be too empathetic towards them. Now they're doing it. It's the greatest kindness they can do is to cut the cancer out. But they cannot do it in the way that you want them to do it in. Like, be nice to me and let's take this real slow. And they're like, can we just put you under and get the cancer out? Can we get the cancer out of society so that we don't die anymore? We don't have time. to. Yeah, there's a therapist, but then there's a Nehemiah who's a surgeon. And you realize, oh, in the body of Christ, we need them both. But we need a surgeon sometimes. Your heart needs a surgeon. Why are you so selfish, man? Boy, why do you talk to your wife like that? Why do you dishonor your husband in front of people like that? Man, you need Nehemiahs in your life who just like, get to it. Let's go. That was good, Pastor. 
don't know why I ramped that up. Listen, Nehemiah's can't be hopeless. And if they knew all of the pain that you were suffering and felt all the pain that you were suffering, they'd be as hopeless as you are. And hopeless people don't do hard things. They have to bring, be bringers of hope. But now I said to them, watch this, watch the mic drop, right? But now I said to them, he's like, I checked this out, I assessed everything. And now basically the first thing I said to them is, you know very well what trouble we're in. Just like Paul the Apostle, man. Couplet, you know what kind of trouble we're in. Yeah? I mean, eyeball to eyeball, mic drop. He creates tension. He vocalizes what everybody's been thinking, but nobody had the guts to say because nobody knew what to do. Hey, man, we're in a, your family's going to be in a problem. Like, you've got a problem right now. And, and, then, and then he says this, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and he defines the problem. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. This whole idea of, like, you should feel disgraced because that's how I feel about this. Why do you not feel disgraced about the situation of sin in your life anymore? You should feel disgraced. You could be living in the power of the Holy Spirit over this thing. You could have victory over this thing. you got to stop living in the rubble. But watch how he does this. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God that, that it had been upon me and about my conversation with the king. He's like, but something is different. The mood has changed now. It, it's, not, it's not hopeless anymore because we have favor that we never had before. Then they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. How does he do this at one conversation? This urgency, the sense of urgency. So they began the good work. And then I'm going to get into the sermon series. You think that you have problems. You think that you have people that don't like you. You make coffee for somebody and then they're like, the coffee's not good. And you feel like that personally attacked your soul. All right? Rather than just like, can you just not make the coffee the way that you like it? Can you make it the way that I like it? And they hurt you by saying that. We got too many millennials in the room here. And they, they hurt you. I get tired of hearing the word hurt all the time, everybody. It hurts me when you say that. When I say the truth about things, that hurts you? It hurts you when I'm trying to help you? It hurts you what? I think that, like, we get hurt a little bit too easy, I, I think. I think we do. Yeah, say amen. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, guys. All right. Watch this opposition. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, remember those names, they'll be coming up. Heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? Oh, you'll see the opposition he faced. It would blow your mind. You would curl up in a fetal position and die. When you heard what they were going to try to do to him in the sermons to come, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Oh, watch, watch what he does. He's like, I represent a different kingdom than you, than your kingdom. The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding his wall, this wall. But you have no share, no legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. I don't care what you think. Nehemiah's will prune your friendships for you. Because some of us have been following false Nehemiahs, distracting Nehemiahs, who would love to lead you, and they have a plan for your life too, but it's not God's plan for your life. And these people have been talking to the people and keeping the wall down in the rubble up. And, he's, and he just confronts them. He just goes after it. And Nehemiah chapter 4 says, and I want to just end the sermon today on this note here, because you got to see how quickly something can happen when God gives Nehemiah a message and you get a hold of the message and you start working. I'm going to show you how the, the plan that he had for how he got the people working. That's going to be a powerful thing. You're going to learn about, about how to run your family. and You're going to learn about how to run your business because of what Nehemiah does. But it says this, that 
last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. When, when see, there's, there's the assessment and then there's a sense of urgency and then there's the momentum of execution. Do you know what will, will fire you up on the inside and give you energy to do God's work in your life? is when you execute and when you stop evaluating everything. When you, God just says, Here, here's, here's how I try to live my life. I'm a simple guy. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. It's a beautiful cycle. Listen, obey. Momentum, momentum, momentum. God's like, hey, this person has a message for you. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. You will have momentum and enthusiasm and joy when you do life this way. My, my, there was so much floating around in this pandemic thing on up team. There's so much floating around in this pandemic thing about how do you handle church and how do you handle people and how do you, and everybody's concentrating on one thing, but I'm looking at this and I'm looking at this and I'm all these voices, even in the church about how to handle things and all these different ideas. And you know what I did? Can I let you in on a secret why I wasn't worried? I went to my Nehemiahs and I watched what they did and I listened to what they said and I did it. And we landed in a place where, where venue is moving forward, where people's lives are getting healed, where people are not. I talked to a girl, can I say this? I talked to a girl last week who was thinking of ending her life this week. And we opened church last week, and that's, there's a different plan now, by the grace of God. <laughs> Why? I don't have to worry because I have my Nehemiah that God sent me, and I'm good. I just kind of followed them and watched them. I'm like, oh, that's a good response. I like that. It's godly. Yeah, okay. It's a powerful thing. What I want you to do, venue churches, I want you to get addicted to not being your own Nehemiah because you're not. I want you to get addicted to kingdom results in your life and momentum in your life. And momentum covers a lot of failure and covers a lot of weakness and covers a lot of flaws. And we're so busy trying to be perfect that you can't be perfect. Why don't you just get a hold of the message by the messenger and start executing it, and God will come and do what only God can do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here for the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, that we do what we do, and you, God, come and do what you do. Now come and do what you do. Oh, Lord God, as we end this service, we'll see a victory.